Welcome to Care to Lead, your path to leadership success. Brought to you by the Vizient Nurse Executives Network. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Nicole Grubling, Associate Vice President of Member Connections at Vizient. I am excited to welcome Ina Williams, Senior Vice President and Chief Nursing Officer at Yale New Haven Hospital. Ina is one of the most engaging nurse executives I know, and I couldn't be happier to have her help us kick off our first Care to Lead podcast. Welcome, Ina. Thank you, Nicole. I am so honored to be here with you this morning. We are happy to have you, Ina, and you can call me Nikki. That's great. Okay, that works for me. Ina, you have had such a unique journey. You started your nursing career outside of the U.S. Tell us a little bit more about that. I'm originally from Jamaica, and I was trained at the University Hospital of the West Indies in the old model program of the Apprentice Program, a three-year program. And then I actually worked at the hospital for a number of years as a pediatric nurse and then went into the intensive care unit, which is really where I sort of fell in love with nursing all over again. It was really one of the most wonderful times of my early career there in Jamaica. My husband's a minister, so we were relocated to another part of the island. I went to work at a small community hospital. I was hired sort of like the SWAT nurse. I became the do anything that was available that needed my expertise, which was another really wonderful experience. But as a result of that, I ended up being asked to take on a role in the operating room. And that's where I started my real journey of perioperative nursing. That's so interesting, Ina. That SWAT nurse position really had to grow you as a professional, increasing your flexibility in the role? Absolutely. Because of my skill set, I became almost like the resident physician. I want to use that in its best terms. But we didn't have doctors on site. The nurses, their practice was really expanded. And so I was the one who would manage a critically ill patient that needed to be transferred, or I would be the one to accompany that patient in the ambulance, or I would be the one to get on a helicopter and take the patient to the city hospital, or I would be the one that would open up an OR. I think that's probably where my relationship with physicians served me well when I went to operating rooms, because in operating rooms, those relationships are so, so very important. They're critical, and that's such an intense environment. It's so fascinating that you had such expanded practice in that role, so much autonomy and independence. How was that transition for you then coming to the United States? Because it looks a lot different here. Very, very different. You know, when I originally <laughs> relocated to the United States, I did not intend to stay here. I came for a two-year trip. Wow. My husband was a student in seminary and our kids were very young. But we came, we fell in love with the United States. There were wonderful opportunities here and my husband had an opportunity to stay. And so I then had to really find a real job. <laughs> yeah. And I went to work at Bronx Lebanon Hospital as an operating room nurse. And I think my experience as an operating room nurse in Jamaica was really what afforded me the opportunity to get into an operating room here in the United States. Sometimes life has a way of setting you up for the kinds of successes that you are not quite sure that you would have somewhere down the road. Of course, the practices were different. You know, the autonomy was very, very different. And I think that was probably the thing I struggled with the most was knowing where my place was and what your role as a nurse was. 
other than practice barriers, did you have other barriers as you were looking for new roles? You know, growing up in Jamaica, we were all considered one and the same. And this idea of that the color of your skin could actually be a barrier to accessing whatever it is that you want to access was just shocking to me. And so that was a real learning curve. My first experience with barriers and racism was when I lived in Cleveland, Tennessee, and walking into a store and the woman at the counter would somehow always be on the side of the store that I was on. I eventually went home and asked my husband about it. And he says, well, you're on the white side of town. And I said, what are you talking about? And he says, that's why she thinks you're probably coming to steal her stuff. And I thought, okay, interesting. The barriers professionally became more acute when I tried to come back to work in Connecticut. And I was now working at a level one trauma center. My kids were small. I thought, let me work somewhere closer to home. And so I applied at a number of hospitals and I couldn't even get past the recruiters. And what I heard from them was, you know, we don't think you would be a good fit here. I didn't understand what that was because I clearly had the depth of experience and in fact had more experience than they were even uh, performing at their hospital. I had done my homework, so I knew what kind of cases they were doing, what kind of operating rooms they had, and I had experiences that were even beyond that. So I think for the first time professionally, it started to become very obvious to me that there were these perceptions that are made about individuals that could lead to a decision about whether you can get a job or not. And that was just shocking to me. Yeah, it really, it had to be heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. My husband had spent a lot of time in the United States, so he was familiar with these kinds of things. And I just kept saying to him, this doesn't make any sense. Why would somebody do that? And so I just assumed that I would have to continue working at the hospital in New York. I was going to have to ride the train and spend hours on the train going back and forth. And by some luck, my husband ended up becoming a chaplain at Illinois Hospital and said, you know, maybe you should apply. And I said, oh, come on. If none of those other hospitals hired me, there is no way. <laughs> there is no way Yale New York Hospital would hire me. Well, you know, as you can imagine, it didn't turn out that way. No, it didn't. It absolutely didn't. And how long have you been at Yale now, Ina? So this is about my 27th year. I started as a staff nurse. And, you know, I experienced some of those barriers here. And I have come to appreciate that this is not the organization necessarily, but that there are individuals who needed to learn and to understand that we can't make decisions about individuals just because of the way they look. There were so many times that surgeons would walk into the OR and, you know, there are only four roles in the operating room. The scrub tech was already dressed. The anesthesiologist was at the head of the table. I'm standing next to the patient and They'd walk in and says, where is the nurse? Wow. And I would say, well, I'm kind of right here. <laughs> there are times I've had to have a few individual conversations because I'm not a very shy person. I was just going to ask that, Ina. So you manage that one-to-one. -one. Yeah. Most of the times I've, I've had conversations in hallways. I've even had to have conversations with colleagues. My goal has always been to do the best that I can at what I have been given and hopefully actually do it even better and advance it to the next level. You 
have such an engaging personality that it's hard not to want to be around you and to have you influence those around you. That's naturally who you are. I've heard this story and I really want to make sure our listeners get to hear this story too. You told us about your experience in not even getting past HR in the hospitals you were applying to. That came full circle, didn't it? Oh, yes, it did, Nikki. <laughs> One particular hospital, you know, that I didn't get past the recruiter. A couple of years later, I was asked to speak at a nursing pinning ceremony. And I told the story as I was talking about sort of overcoming barriers and not allowing disappointments to get in your way and, you know, how you have to really sort of continue to pick yourself up and moving forward. And uh, the CEO at the end of the session, he came over and he said, I hope this was not my hospital you're talking about, because if it is, I'm going to go terminate that uh, recruiter right now. <laughs> well, unfortunately, it happened to have been his hospital, but that recruiter was no longer there. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I mean, what are the chances? What are the chances? Yeah. He said to me, he said, oh, I guess we missed an opportunity. That had to feel great. Yes, it did. You know, would you say that was a defining moment in your career? Or do you have another moment that you felt like this is it? Oh, I've had a number of those. Perhaps one of the first defining moments in my career was when I worked in Jamaica and I had a, an experience that happened in our operating room where I really learned the power of leadership and that there are times when you must stand up for what is right, even at the risk of losing your job. There was a particular surgeon there who made everybody cry. And I used to say to the nurses, why are you crying? Don't cry. <laughs> don't let him make you cry. You know, don't give anyone that much power over you. He was just a tyrant. We were able to manage him to a point. But this particular day, he asked for an admixture of a medication that, to me, based on what my experiences in the ICU and how we used that medication, the mixture would have been catastrophic. And so I challenged him and I said, I think this is the wrong mixture. Where did you get this instruction from? He had gone to a conference and heard it, you know, that it reduced the bleeding and he was going to inject it in the cervix and hopefully we would have less bleeding. But I knew the mixture was wrong because my experience in the ICU knew that we would, we would mix less than that in a 500 back cc's and he wanted to put it in 20 cc syringe. And he kept insisting he was going to do that. And I said to him, I'm not going to hand you the syringe and I'm not going to hand you the mixture of the medication. So I wouldn't put it on the table. And he started his usual thing. And I said to him, I'm going to go get the matron because we're just not going to do this. The woman is on the table asleep and we're getting into an argument. I walked out of the OR with the medication in my hand. By the time I had gotten back, he had taken off his scrubs, gone over to the anesthesia table pulled the medication, mixed it, and was injecting it into the, the cervix. I don't wow. even know if it was five or seven minutes. And of course, the anesthesiologist couldn't stop him because this the patient was just had an ET tube in and was being bagged. We didn't have fancy machines and all of that in this place. So she couldn't stop what she was doing to intervene. Right. And the tech, you know, just didn't have the courage. When I walked in the OR, I heard the anesthesiologist says, I think we're going to have a cardiac arrest. She was 25 years old. I will never forget that day and I will never forget her. 
she died on the table. That's we could not resuscitate her. And it was the first time in my career when I basically said to the leaders of the organization, you have to fix this or I'm, I'm done. If you can't fix this, I can't lead here. It took a while, but we finally got to a place where he apologized to the team. He had to talk to the family and eventually left the organization because he just couldn't figure out how to behave himself. And, you know, that was probably the first time in my career I thought to myself, you could never be that afraid because people will die. You can never be that afraid as a leader because you can go get a job somewhere else, but you can't bring a life back. You can't bring a life back. So that has stayed with me throughout my career. And I've had a number of those situations where I thought it was my last day at work because I said, we can't do this anymore. That's so powerful, Ina. That is the definition of a leader. You're ready to stand up for the right thing to do, even if it has a really heavy cost. Mm -hmm. It's worth it. You have influenced so many people around you. Who would you say is your most influential mentor? I'll probably begin with my parents, not from a professional perspective, but from the way they led us as parents and really instilled in us these lessons and qualities of who we were in society and the responsibilities we have to society. My aunt, who really inspired me to become a nurse, even though I hadn't met her, but my mother had a photograph of her and I would stand there and just stare at this woman in uniform and she looked so elegant. Hmm. Those were some of the early influencers in my life. Probably my most recent was my most recent chief nursing officer who, now that I look back on my career here, I can see where her hand was involved in so much of my own personal development. I'm not so sure that I recognized it and appreciated it at the time, but she was always stretching me and kept always pulling me back into the larger nursing community and and giving me opportunities that I would constantly say to her, I'm not so sure you want to do that. Are you sure you know what you're doing? I'm not sure I'm the one that you should, you know, I'm an OR nurse, you know, this is what I've done my whole life. I don't know anything about this other side of the world. Trying to talk her out of it. Always trying to talk her out of it. But she would always say, oh, you can do this. You can do this. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. I'll be here. You know, your examples speaks to the personal difference we can make by doing the right thing. Absolutely. I think we don't always know the impact we have on other people's lives. And, you know, as a minority nurse, having a CNO who never, never, ever made me feel like I was different than the others. I was the first Minority Nursing Director in Perioperative Services here at Yale. I was the first Minority Vice President of Nursing and the first Minority CNO. But when I sat at her table, I always felt like I was an equal. I never felt like an outsider. And she was very intentional about that. We had very, very open conversations about race and about what it felt like. And I think there were times when she would say, you know, you've taught me so much about 
looking beyond things that I couldn't see, but you've helped me to see them in ways that I would never have been able to. And then watching her sort of take some of those conversations and articulate them to the team in a way that makes it even more inviting for me to be part of the team. So I I will be forever grateful to her for that. And I hope she knows that. I tell her that all the time. Good, good. You know, if you could give one piece of advice to someone who wants to become a nursing leader, what would that be? I would say it's really important to know who you are. While you want to become a nurse leader, become a leader of yourself first and understand who you are, what your values are, what are the things that guide you, because those are the things that you need to pay attention to as you lead in a space, whether it's nursing or any other uh, career. That, that for me, is one piece of advice I, I would give to others. I think that's amazing advice. It is a tough career. It's not for the faint of heart, but it's so worth it in the end. Thank you, Ina, for spending time with us and sharing your story today. Thank you, Nikki. This was such a pleasure and an honor to do this. I hope it will make a difference for someone. You know, I've been a nurse for 41 years and I would do this all over again. I have absolutely no regrets. It is one of the most wonderful times of my life. So I encourage uh, those of you who want to be nurse leaders, take on the challenge. It's well worth it. Thank you, Ina. You are such an inspiration and I know that this made a difference. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed today's discussion, please subscribe to hear more Care to Lead podcasts. Like us and send us your comments. Care to Lead is your path to success and is brought to you by Vizient's Nurse Executives Network. I'm Dr. Nicole Grubling. Have a great day.